Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Darren Harris. Darren, welcome. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And you look fantastic in your England football shirt. (laughs) Are are we celebrating today, perhaps? Well, you know, uh, (laughs) I was a a player for most of my life and and now I'm a fan. And uh, yeah, really happy with how the tournament's gone. Yeah, so when this episode comes out, who knows whether we'll be still going through or whether it'll all be over for the three lions. Yeah, let's let's wait and see. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm optimistic and even a little bit confident this time. Oh, oh interesting. Go all the way. So, what is it that you're doing at the moment? You mentioned that you've played football before, but tell us what it is you're doing at the moment, Darren. So I speak and I and I coach and I, I generally work with organisations that want the mindset to tackle life's big challenges and <laughs> there's been a fair few challenges for for people over the last year and 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 further as well so that's really what I kind of help people with and you say tackles life's big challenges what have the big challenges been for you <laughs> well I mean going back to when I was starting out obviously I was I was born with normal vision but when I was 15 months old I was diagnosed with cancer in both my eyes and, and so I lost my sight over a number of years and I suppose that was one of my early challenges that uh, kind of took up a lot of focus and brain space for me. Um, you know, I've, I've dealt with, with racism as well. I've had that kind of experience Um, obviously had a lot of sporting challenges in terms of, you know, trying to qualify for the, the Paralympics and, you know, my, my career with England and, and then obviously more recently, just, just dealing with the pandemic and how that's changed my business and you know as a speaker you know I was always doing in-person talks and conferences and things like that and and now we've we've moved to doing everything online or or not at all in some (laughs) circumstances. So let's take let's go back to clearly not 15 months you're not going to remember that so what have what are your earliest memories do you remember having sight? Absolutely. I I had sight till I was probably in my 20s, actually. I had, had some usual vision up to that point. But even though I went to a mainstream primary school and I could see reasonably well. I mean, I could I could read print, I could I could write, I could play football with all the other kids and wasn't so good at rounders. I remember, you know, I, I could only see out of the one eye and I wasn't able to judge distances. But I do remember my sight getting worse gradually and actually it making things a lot harder for me. And I remember sort of when I used to play with the school football team, that sometimes my teammates wouldn't pass to me because maybe they thought that I'd missed the ball or miscontrol the ball. Um, and in those days, we we played on full-size 11-side pitches, so which kids don't tend to do these days, actually. They tend to play on smaller pitches, actually, because we realise that's much better for uh, the development of your skills. 
Um, but then we were playing on this full size pitch and so everyone was miles away and it was it was really, really difficult. And I, and, I, and I do remember sort of starting to feel a bit more isolated and, and you know, it was definitely, definitely harder for me. But I think in the long run, it probably helped me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you mentioned, up... sorry. No, I was just going to say I, I was obviously upskilling all the time because you know, sometimes if you're training with players who are, who are better than you or, or make, more capable than you, then you can either kind of give up because it's too hard or you can just, you know, just dig in and, and, and keep working at it. And that's what I tend to do. And you mentioned that your early challenges, Darren, were with focus and brain space. What did you mean by that? So in, in those early years, my focus was always on getting my sight back. I used to go to the hospital every year and I see the doctor and I'd, I'd hope that there'd be some miracle cure. Cause I think we've all grown up in a time where we think that we can just go to the doctors and the hospital and they'll be able to fix whatever ailment we've got. And, and that, that was the, that was the mindset that I had. I thought, well, and people would say it to me as well, so, you know, oh, haven't they found a cure for this? Because they found a cure for so many other things. And every time I went to the doctor, he'd just say, you know, Darren, your sight's getting worse and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, and, you know, that made, made me feel pretty down and, and miserable and, and put me in quite a, quite a dark place at times. So, yeah, my, my focus was really on, on getting my sight back. Uh, and it was only once probably it was all gone, <laughs> actually, that, I, that my attention started to, to, to focus elsewhere in terms of, you know, well, this is what I haven't got, but these are all the things that I, I have gotten. And so that's how my mindset changed. And what did the mindset shift do for you? Oh, it's magical. <laughs> it was it, it was it was kind of foundational. It was like thinking about all the things that, that I could do. And and I think when I was starting out, we we didn't we didn't have the internet in the way we do now. We didn't have access to lots and lots of role models. I didn't even think that I could ever do sport as a, as a profession I didn't think I could ever get paid to do sport because you know when I was at school I didn't really know anything about the Paralympics or there wasn't even an England blind football team at that point there was none of that and so it was well you know you've got to focus on your studies you know go to university just try and get a, an everyday job that everybody else does and actually there just wasn't those those role models out there in fact the only kind of roles I knew about was, you know, you could be a, a basket weaver or piano tuner, to be brutally honest. And there wasn't an awful lot else available. And, um, and so I didn't, didn't really think those things were possible for me. And so, you know, as I got older and then when the opportunity came to, you know, go and play, to, to play blind football, I I'll always remember that day when I got asked to come to my, my first England training camp and, I thought, wow, this is this is amazing. I mean, uh, I can come and play blind football, do something that I always loved. You know, at school, that's all I ever did was play football. I played football before school, played during break time, lunchtime, after school. I probably played four, five, six hours a day sometimes. Um, but it was always just a, a recreational thing. It's something you did for fun. But then to have the opportunity to do it for your country and then so after that, you know, get the opportunity to even get you know, paid to do what you do was just like mind blowing. So the, the focus and, and the, the magical mindset shift that you had and, and the knowledge now that you're able to fulfill that childhood dream, what is it that you want to provide for others that may be going through what you're going through now? 
I think when you look around you, that everything that you see started with a thought uh, and what happens in our, in our brains is, is massively important. And, and so, in fact, I, I remember when I qualified for the, the Beijing Paralympics, um, I had the opportunity to go and work with a performance psychologist. And uh, I remember walking into his office and um, I was really cynical about psychology. I, I was always really fit. I was always the person who could, you know, I used to come highest in the bleep test. I was always the fittest one in the team. I was always the strongest one in the team. You know, physically, I was, re I was really good in the gym. And I, and, I, and I worked hard on my, on my technique as well. I kind of thought that was all that there was to it. I didn't really think there was anything else I had to do. And I remember sort of walking in to speak to a psychologist. And, and I, I remember saying to him, well, you know, can you guarantee me a gold medal? <laughs> you know is there is there any point in me speaking to you is kind of what I said to him and he says you know why is that I said well can you guarantee me a gold medal and obviously he couldn't guarantee me a gold medal but within those 30 minutes I spoke to him I suddenly realized that how uh, intrinsic our mindset was to everything we did whether whether we we stretched and did our recovery properly was based on whether we believed it was going to work um you know the the times when i you know when i didn't perform particularly well how i dealt with those with those losses and those mistakes in games you know it was it was all in the mind it was just quintessential to everything we did and, you know and i left that session with my my eyes wide open as to how powerful the mind was in in terms of our performance and everyday life and so i actually went away to study it i thought I want to know more about this because I was from I was from a maths background. I, I studied maths at university, and in the world of maths, everything's you know absolute. There's there's no, things are either right or wrong, and in psychology, it was a little bit more nuanced, and, and therefore I kind of thought, well, it's all a bit wishy washy this stuff. But I you know I went away and studied it and wanted to know more, and and, and also wanted to try and implement it into my own uh, in my own career, and I think. 100% that it probably prolonged my career you know because I, I'm only recently retired and I remember you know at the last tournament I played a couple of years ago I was I was 12 years older than anyone else in my team and uh, you know and I really think that my mindset was one of the key reasons why I was able to sort of prolong my career and perform at that level for such a long time. That's fascinating and, and something that I've also just picked up on Darren is you, you use very visual language. You, you said everything you see started with a thought. You said you left the session with your eyes wide open. It's really curious because clearly, <laughs> you know, you can't see, but mm. you're using that language. And I think that's partly because that I used to be able to see, but I also think that our, um, our vision is probably the, the strongest sense we have. You know, when I ask people which sense could they do without least, it's often blindness which is number one and we are very very visual people and and so the language that I hear people speak is is very visual and and I suppose as a consequence the language I use because uh, it's that's what makes sense to them and some someone might say to me well I might say to someone well I watched the football last night and they go well you didn't really watch it but I say well you know I picture I can picture what's going on in my head you know, I played the game for, oh, it feels like hundreds of years. 
<laughs> I mean, I've watched thousands of games of football and I've played hundreds of games of football. And so I build up those visual images in my head. So to me, I actually do watch the game. I can picture where people are and I can picture what they're trying to do. And, you know, um, you know, if you've got really good commentators who are good at painting those pictures, then they're able to kind of communicate that to me as well. So, yeah, I think that's that's why I use such visual language. And what what is your sort of primary focus now? Is it is it on auditory? Is that your your biggest input? Yeah, uh, you know, when I as a, as a blind footballer, that was using our ears was was incredible, really, and 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 realizing what you can do with your ears. And I always ask people, even though, even though we are very visual, I always ask people to kind of close their eyes and 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 realize what they can do even with their eyes closed there's, there's, a, there's a good friend of mine daniel kish and uh he's, he's called his nickname is the batman and he he does a lot of stuff around echolocation but it's really the technique we use in blind football and there's like youtube videos of this guy cycling a bike you know through a car park and there's obstacles on the way and he's able to weave around all these obstacles and and able to use just the echo and the sounds so he gets back from different surfaces to locate where he is. And so when people ask me, how do you play blind football? Then what I what I tend to do when I walk onto a pitch is in, I walk the pitch from end to end. I walk from width to width. And I'm I'm trying to use everything I've got, all my other senses. So I'm using my, my ears to pick up on um, echoes from different surfaces around me. Um, I'm using my, my kinesthetic senses to pick up any gradients or bobbles or bumps in the pitch so that literally at any one moment I know where I am even the direction of the wind I will use to try and help me uh, navigate and uh, and I think yeah you know you get really good at, at problem solving when you lose one of your senses you know in <laughs> I always, always one of the examples is when it snows. It's really, really, it's really, really challenging when it snows. Where I live, I've got this really open plan front of the house, so you don't really know if you're in the road or in the garden <laughs> or on the pavement. And when the snow's kind of above the level of the pavement, it's even more difficult. So you have to develop different ways of, of just getting around. Um, and and so you. You, you do you, you kind of think what what senses have I got available to me and, and how can I solve this problem um what what one of the ones that my mate used to do when he used to want to know where his house was was just was just to leave his um, speaker on his windowsill <laughs> and just just turn the music on uh which you can kind of do remotely these days so that's one way of doing it but I you know I'd use anything I could whether it was a lamppost uh or whether it was you know a particular car or something there's always something I can use or find in my environment that I can use to help me navigate Fantastic. And and you, you talked about the the, the nuances of, of psychology and how you've implemented it into your career and how it prolonged your career for 12 years, you know, older than anyone else in your team. What else has, has changed for you and what, what other impact have you that gone on to make for others? So I, I remember... Um working so I, I do a lot of my work in schools the majority of my work with schools I obviously do work with, with organizations and companies as well but I, I had the opportunity I was doing some work for a, for a charity actually and they wanted us to 
to work with with young people that probably didn't aspire to get into some of the top universities. So I, I was lucky enough to go to Redbrook University and they were trying to get these kids from a disadvantaged school to to even consider applying to one of those universities. And uh, so I was, I was giving him some 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 maths tutoring, actually. And he he, he really struggled with maths. He, he hated maths was the, was the phrase he used. And I remember saying to him, well, you know, what? what you know what what sort of qualities or skills do you think you need to get on in life and he said well you know determination was was one of the ones he picked out and so i said to him well, well what does determination mean and he says well to keep going at something that you you find difficult so i said well you know you so what would happen if you kind of stuck at your maths what would happen then and and it was really maths was almost the process for him proving to himself that he was determined you know it wasn't it didn't become about the maths anymore so him passing his maths was more about proving to himself that he had determination which was a quality he could use in in other aspects of his life it was this transferable skill so maths became the process and he ended up getting an a in his maths and uh, you know and then said you know i really want to do it for a level so that was that was like one of the insights for me was that you know sometimes we don't know why we do certain things in life you know we don't know if we go to school and well why am i learning algebra why am i learning geometry or i'm never going to use this in my life for example and you know or why am i going to go and run a marathon I mean, i've run a couple of marathons and people say to you why do you do that or why would you want to do that and, you know i've got friends who who do crazy things like ultra marathons and climb mountains and put themselves through these really big challenges uh, and sometimes you don't realize all of the skills that it gives you to to get there and so it's the process really that the, the outcome is probably never as enjoyable as you really think to be honest you know when I went to the Paralympic Games or anything like that it wasn't when I got there I was like okay but I'm here now but when I look back on it now and I think about all the things I had to do to get there and then I suddenly realised, OK, so when I face another challenge, what is it that I can take from what I did before to use in this particular situation? So for me, qualifying for the Games was 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 instrumental because uh, back in 2004, when I, you know, we thought we were going to qualify for the, for the Athens Paralympics. And then we had Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. They wouldn't sanction us to play as Great Britain. And I remember at the time that I, I know I was working in IT. Actually, I used to be a, a computer programmer. Would you believe it? And uh, <laughs> and I remember working in my job and thinking to myself, well, you know, this has always been my dream to go to Paralympic Games, and here, uh, you know, we've qualified, but all of a sudden we're now not allowed to go. What am I going to do? And I was a black belt in judo actually at the time, and I suddenly thought to myself, well. I could tr I could stick with football for the next four years and see, if, you know, the powers that be can reverse the decision of these, you know, these guys in these ivory towers, or maybe I can try and qualify for the games with with judo. But I know I also thought that I couldn't qualify if if I only trained you know two or three nights a week doing judo. I realised that the only way I was ever going to get to the games was to was to train full time, and that would involve me packing in my job and that was a massive decision because you know you, your job gives you security you know exactly how much you're going to earn every month you know I had a mortgage at the time 
you know, there was, I had, a, I had a pension, I had all of these sort of things that we traditionally cling on to that make us feel safe and secure. And I was going to risk all of that to follow my dream. And I remember the day I handed in my notice and all my colleagues were coming up to me and said, you know, Darren, I heard you handed in your notice, you know, where are you going? Because most people only leave a job if they're going to be paid more money or they're going to go to a company with better prospects. And I said, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and do judo full time. And, you know, my dream is to, to go to the Paralympic Games. And I said, well, how much are they going to be paying you? I said, well, <laughs> nothing. I said, I said, hopefully, if my performances go in the way I'd like them to go, then I could get on lottery funding. And he said, you know what, I, you know, I've got a house, I've got, a, I've got a mortgage, but I'm going to get a tenant, and hopefully that will cover the vast majority of my, of my mortgage, and then I can, you know, get a part time job, and 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 I'll find a way around, and and that's what I did. And uh, but it was everybody thought I was crazy, and well. Um, Thankfully, it all paid off. Wow, what, what a great story. And you said that a lot of people don't know why they do what they do. And that's this is what we're doing now. We're focusing on the why. And you knew that you would find a way around because you were pursuing your dream. What's the, the, what's the why? What's the, the mission and the, the vision that you have now, Darren? Well, I suppose, you know, it goes back to our, our values in terms of what we what we think is most important for us, and so I I I, re- I remember sitting across the office with one of my colleagues, and he'd he'd been there for thirty years, I think, at that point, and I'd been I'd been in the company for nearly ten years, and I was just thinking to myself, do I see myself doing this for the next twenty years? And I just couldn't. And I just thought, that's not really what I want to do, you know, and, I, I, you know, sport was always a part of my life. You, you know, when I was at school, it was the thing that was uh, an outlet for me. So in terms of all some of my frustration around losing my sight and all the experience I had. So I had this real love for sport, doing sport, watching sport. And, you know, here was an opportunity to kind of do something I loved. And I thought, you know, I, I just, I felt I could make it work. I didn't, I didn't really know how it was going to happen. Um, but I knew what I wanted to do and I knew that I would have these massive regrets if I didn't kind of do it. Um, and I just, I didn't want to sort of sit there in 20 years time looking back and thinking, you know what, there was an opportunity there to, to do it and you, you did it, you, you played it safe and you, you didn't take a risk. Uh, and now you're just, you know, who knows what would have happened Um, but I'm I'm sure I wouldn't have had the adventure that I've had doing what I've been doing for the last um, you know 20 years so was it judo as well or was it just football so yeah so I did judo in Beijing yeah I went to judo I went to the games with judo um as it happened those those home nations reversed their decisions eventually and um so I did actually end up coming back to football um and I was actually getting really old as well with football judo I started getting loads of injuries I broke my ribs tore my ankle ligaments and and I realized that you know judo was so much more physical than football um that I could probably get a much longer career out of football than uh, than I could judo. Maybe now if my football's over, I'll have to sort of take a bowls because that's obviously a lot less physical than football. So, <laughs> but anything that will help me carry on doing some sport to 
a, a good level is massively important for me. So which Olympics did you do your football with? I went to London. Yeah, I went so to London. So the Paralympics in London, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And it was it was it was so different to Beijing, obviously, because my family and friends are able to come and you know, I, I met a load of people I hadn't seen for years in London. You know, there was there was people who turned up to games who I hadn't seen for 15 years. There was a, there was a guy I went to university with, and he was there with his family just watching one of the games. And he said to his son, he said, Oh, I know him. <laughs> I went to the university with him, and, he, and his son's going, No, no, you don't. And uh, you know, he managed to kind of get past security and got him into the changing room and just and I, I literally we we'd lost touch and you know, so rekindled of old friendships. He said I had my family there who, you know, have always kind of supported me in in in, in my endeavours to do what I do. And uh yeah, it was it was a it was a joy. So a double Paralympian. Yeah. That's pretty epic. Yeah. And what next? <laughs> so I think it for me, it, it's really, really just sharing you know, what I've learned um, from from say various challenges I've experienced um, and just helping people with, with theirs because I think sometimes we think things are impossible and, and sometimes we don't we obviously don't know how we're going to get there but just believing it can be done is, is a starting point and you know I'm, I'm involved with the the role model program now so uh, the football association have a role model program where we you know, we work with all of the the young players coming into the into the talent program now, and and try and give them a good idea of, of what's to come as they go through their careers. And and I think to have people who've who've been there and done it is is a massive help to them because you know we never had anything like this when we were coming through. We were just literally, um, <laughs> I would say, stumbling in the dark. Um, but that's that's kind of how it felt really, uh, and. You know, now there's just an awful lot more support. And I think if there's help out there for you to kind of help you get to where you want to get to, then you might as well take take advantage of that, really, rather than, you know, and trial and error is a great, great way of, of learning things. But often there is there is there is knowledge, there are skills out there which which other people have, which you can take advantage to to help you progress much quicker than you would on your own. So we've talked about the the cancer, the the loss of sight, the the focus and the brain space that that gave you, the challenges that you had to go through there, the sporting challenges, the the journey to the Paralympics. You also mentioned about having had to deal with racism. Tell me about that a bit more. Ah, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's changed in form over the years, but I think it's it's still there in certainly when I was younger and, and it actually I suppose a funny story for 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 me was Euro 96 which a lot of people talk about was it was a seminal moment for me in terms of eight was the year I made my England debut but it was also the year that you know, football came home so to speak you know Euro 96 was when we had our first tournament in the UK for for 30 years and up until that point I'd never supported England as a, as a football fan. You know, I, I was, when I was a kid growing up, I'd experienced so much racism from, you know, people in the street and you know, literally, you know, people would spit at you. They would call you nasty names. They would just, it was, it was pretty horrible. And, um, and so, you know, every time England played football in the eighties, I, I wanted them to lose. 
And um, and, and I suppose Euro 96 was probably the first tournament where I can say I, I, I was proud to be English. You know, I, I actually had a flag of St. George and that was the first time I'd ever even kind of thought I would <laughs> wear wear a flag or anything like that. Um, but it, it's but it's still it's still a challenge today, and uh, you know, we've we've there's been a lot of discussion around Black Lives Matter, and even watching the the lads sort of you know taking the knee at, at the games, and and there's been some hostility towards them from certain sections of the crowd who probably don't really understand you know the message and, and why they're doing it, and I think I suppose if you're if you're not black if you're not um brown if you're not someone who's experienced racism perhaps you don't think it exists anymore because it's not something you'll ever experience but i can tell you for you know for someone who's on the other side of that that it's 100 real and you know and when i you know i I'm, I'm lucky enough to you know travel around quite a lot and when i'm on the buses and trains and things like that some of the conversations i hear people um, having and some of the things that people are saying are so unpleasant that it, it it's incredible and it may not be targeted towards black people it might be targeted to another section of society but I think we've always noticed difference um when things change it always challenges us to to adapt and adjust and I think that can be difficult for all of us and um and I and I don't see it as a problem that's going away anytime soon um but we know we live in hope yeah well i'm sorry that you've had to experience all that and it it's, it's i don't understand why there hasn't been changes to to stamp out the racism i just don't understand it, it well i don't think it's something that can be done at, at, at yeah. a, sort of a governmental level i think ultimately we can always legislate and create laws that kind of say well you can't say this and you can't say that but you can't change how people think that that really comes from their interactions with people uh, you know and and some people live in very kind of isolated communities where they you know maybe they're, they're 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 the only one of their type in that kind of community so if you don't really mix with people and uh, if you've never had any black friends and you and uh you know or you're only, you maybe you've interacted one or two and people will say to me well you know you're not like the other ones <laughs> which i always find kind of particularly insulting really but you know i've had a very different experience to a you know a lot of other black people you know i i went to uh, an all-white boarding school um i went to university i've had a very different experience and in, 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 a, in a lot of ways i've i've learned to so I suppose you might call it be a chameleon. I know I can, I can fit in where 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 I have to and when I need to. Um, but you know, when I'm around my family and my and my close friends, I'm probably a very different person to how I am in public. And that's just one of the skills that you you kind of learn in life. Um, but it, perhaps it's not something that you'd you'd want to encourage everyone has to do that they that you can't be yourself. There's always talk about us being authentic and in and being ourselves but it, it's really hard to do that when you are in the minority you raise a good point about authenticity because the being authentic in in being your true self in whatever environment that is 
clearly you always are yourself you know you are you yet you you may be as you say being a bit of a chameleon in in different environments but don't we all do that yeah no absolutely um <laughs> and, and yeah because and, and, I think it's it's very difficult to uh, be I think it's very difficult to be yourself because you're always conscious of what other people think about you and what other people are going to say about you and especially when you've got a social presence and you know so what you what you put out there on, on social media and you know we've seen certain people you know in the last sort of few months get in trouble for stuff they've written a long time ago and it, and and sometimes what what how we thought maybe 10 years ago is different to how we think now or maybe we just realize that we can't say certain things now um, but maybe we do want to say those things um, and so it's, it's, it's really challenging it's a really difficult time I think for people to have the confidence and conviction to say what they really think because they're you know certain people are going to challenge them on certain on certain views um, so it, it's a it's a tightrope that I think all of us walk and uh, and it's not going to get any easier I don't think and you're now spreading the word in the podcasting waves Obviously, you're on this podcast, but you've also just launched your own show. Tell us about that, Darren. Well, it's called On Blind My Mind, which is, you know, what I talk about. And 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 really, it's re- exploring life from a different perspective. So I'm, I'm really interested in interviewing people who've had different experiences uh, and, and that, that see the world differently. And because they see the world differently, often they come up with creative solutions to some of the problems that we all face. And so that's what I'm really interested in exploring. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very much in its infancy, but hopefully one day I get it to grow as, as, as massive as yours. Oh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Unblind the mind. I mean, absolutely seeing the world differently from different perspectives. And, and also, as you say, you know, those creative solutions that people have, it, it, they're fascinating to, to, to hear. And, to, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories that you bring to light with your show, Darren. It's been it's fantastic. And, and I want to say thank you so much for sharing why you do what you do here today. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing your, your journey and your your insights and and the challenges that you have faced how would people who would like to hear more or would like to book you to come and speak at their school and their company or their charity how would they reach out and and contact you so the best place for them to get hold of me is probably on linkedin and you know darren harris is me darren harris gb i'm on all social media channels and my website's also darrenharrisgb.com so if they try one of those ways they'll they'll definitely find me fantastic well they'll all go in the show notes so that people can find those easily if they're out and about right now and and, and don't recall that but darren harris gb fantastic it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for coming on the show do you have some final words for the audience please darren yeah, so my motto was that the the eyes are useless when the mind is blind, and and I suppose what that kind of reminds me of is that the mind is absolutely crucial. If I was to give you a choice between losing your sight or losing your mind, there's I think it's clear to all of you that it's an easy one, isn't it? And you can definitely survive without your sight, but you you can't live without your mind. So really focus on what you think, how you think. Uh, and start paying attention to that so you hopefully you can start making better decisions 
growing greater relationships and obviously achieving greater success. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.